It's a special New Year's edition. We'll talk about that. I'm John. I'm Johnny. And we're here for a year in review time to look back over 2019 as we oh, head into 2020. So many moments. Oh, old, I can't think of any. But I can't. Yeah. I'm really worried that we won't have a lot to review. Like, it was kind of a blur. It was a lot. A lot happened. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're not going to. What are we? We're not going to get political. That's so. you know talking about that at lunch today. Like, like literally, there's no, there's no. We could say this: a president, no good side. Our president just got impeached. Yeah, and like literally, you and I are probably not comfortable going into that conversation because that's you said. Well, and it's all everybody talks yeah. about. It's yeah. all they get on their social media feed is like these opinions on either side of it, yeah. and so you're inundated with it. So it's one reason I don't talk about it in my show. When I do a comedy show, I don't yeah. do political jokes. Like, what's the point? Yeah, they want to break from that. Right. We're so politicized right now. And I think it's an important topic. And I actually, you and I do talk about it when enjoy yeah. it, but probably yeah. not for this year. I mean, it would just consume the whole time. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah, it's fine. I will say this, though. Okay. I'm not going to say anything politically. I will just say this, that this has been our reality now for five years. Yeah. That all we talk about in the news, like every news story is about the president and before he got elected every mm-hmm. news story was about him and so i will just say that i can't think of a time in life where where you woke up every day and the president was in the back of your mind yeah he's he is the only news story like yeah. every news story that comes on every comedian you watch fallon at night you mm-hmm. watch kimmel at night, everybody all their bits are about him um you turn on the news story everything is in the context Saturday Night live yeah yep, everything and so it's like it's amazing the only thing i could think of was uh and i'm not saying this I'm not, I'm not making a positive or a negative statement. I'm just speaking in terms of its volume or saturation in, yeah. in the social marketplace. I will just say McCarthyism in the 50s might be the closest thing because, I mean, there was a time right, of obsession. the communism scare yeah. and figures everything, pointing and yeah, all Everything that. was about McCarthy and everything was about – was always that story uh, and, and who it affected Which next. you were alive for that. You remember I, that. Oh, my goodness. The 50s. What a time. Man, they call What a time to be alive. <laughs> John had to seek refuge when he was oh, man. called a the red menace. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, I would say I just I – would, I wouldn't mind – there being other news stories that... Well, Saturday Night Live will get a break this week because uh, they're bringing back one of their own. Eddie Murphy is hosting Saturday Night Live this uh, wow. this week. So it will have already happened probably when this airs. Is he but, making a lot of movies anymore? Or no, he... he's coming back to stand-up. He's agreed to do a, a stand-up return special, $70 million for Netflix. I would have agreed to that too. Yeah, That's I would have done good, it. I told him I'd have done it for half that. Yeah, if they had found say. me. Yeah, wow, what a steal! Seventy million. Yeah, good night. Yeah, that, nuts. Netflix must be doing okay. And what's funny is we're not even sure. I don't want to say we're not sure if but, he's funny anymore. Right, he hasn't done we don't so know long. what his chops are going to be at this point because he even said when he was on Comedians in Cars getting coffee with uh, Seinfeld, he said he was he regretted letting that muscle atrophy. He referred to it as an atrophy. Wow. When he stopped doing stand-up for 30 years. And uh, he was the biggest stand-up in the world. One of the biggest ever. And he just kind of was like, eh. He reached the heights and he was like, I'll just do movies now. And then he mostly did kids' movies the last right. several years. And now it's like, I'm going to come back to stand-up. But what's what are his sensibilities going to be? A lot of his – that's what's interesting too. Stand-up, we have cancel culture now. We have all this stuff. There's so many topics that he had. Like if you watch Delirious, you can't get through it. It's so homophobic. It's so yeah. beyond the pale. Um uh, some of the words, I mean, he's just crazy. So there's those topics are off the table now. Right. And so it's interesting to see what he'll do. I, I have no doubt. I mean, Amy Murphy is one of the funniest people that's ever lived. So yeah. I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. 
But I told him what I would have done. I would have done it pay-per-view. I wouldn't have done where that's they what, could watch it again. again. Yeah. That's what I, I was telling a friend of this. I said, you pay-per-view, he could have made $500 million. Like if it was a one-time only pay here to watch this, yeah. $29 or whatever, everybody gets around in the house and you each pick kick So him. let me get this straight. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy found a way to make seventy million dollars for one night of stand up, yeah. and you. I said he should have done found it. a way to criticize I that. Here's what I would have done, like, Eddie. <laughs> greed might have crept in here, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, but he could have got half a billion. I mean, like seriously, well, Johnny, yeah, where's your contentment level? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty content, <laughs> I guess. When's your Netflix special coming out? I mean, I know they've been asking. They've been. You're clamoring. still negotiating the numbers. People are clamoring for it. <laughs> So uh, seriously though, when does your uh, your my dry bar? Yes, your dry bar come out. It, they're saying March. Okay. So there's a whole you know they do three they take three or four specials a weekend for yeah. the last you know two years. So, you're in a so queue there's people in the somewhere. queue. I'm in yeah. the queue. Yeah, in the hopper. If you yeah, know. and uh, it's exciting. I was really happy with it. Yeah. So I mean, have you seen the footage? No. Okay. But I just felt like the shows. You saw so, the live footage as you did it. Yeah, I just thought, well, these shows went so well that I'm assuming this will come out. Yeah. Like, you never know, but yeah. you can get a feel for when you did well or when you didn't do well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody, and I've had some things where I was on the fence about. I was like, oh, let's see what the footage looks like. Anybody with a microphone can get a feel. Nothing's ever as good as you remember it, though. Yeah. Nothing's like, oh, destroyed. And you watch it, and you're like, ooh, that was just okay. But yeah, I, I felt good about it. I'm usually okay with the audio of something if I thought... Sometimes I go back and listen to kind of critique my own sermon so I can keep getting better. You yeah. know, and I'll be like, I'll, if I watch it, I don't like it. But if I listen to it, I'm usually okay because I'll be thinking of just the content kind mm -hmm. of thing. You know, of course, I don't like, I don't know. That's interesting. But but you have all the above. You have to deal with the content and the way you you delivered it, what your expression was and all those things. And I, that happens for a I've preacher. I've seen but, still photos from it and I already don't like the shirt that I chose. Oh, what was it? It's a black shirt, but it had a pattern on it. But I don't like the way it fit. Like, it, it has a weird thing it was doing at the bottom. Oh, man. I tried to tell you. And I was like, oh, I should. Because I didn't want to wear a solid black shirt because I'd just done another taping yeah. for that Opry Network thing yeah. at Zany's. Uh, which that'll be out in January, I'm hoping. And it's oh, supposed nice. to be in like 70 million homes. So that show, it's going to be called uh, Stand Up Live from, right, Stand Up Nashville Live from Zany's. Wow. Stand Up Nashville. So that What's show, the name of the network? Uh, Circle. Circle. Circle Network. Um, so when that comes out, I'm wearing this black dress shirt. Yeah. It's just a plain black dress shirt. And so I, did, I had that same shirt with me yeah. when I went to the dry bar and I was like, I don't wear this thing. Cause then it looks like that's my comedy uniform. Right. He so never wears it. So instead of going out and buying another shirt, well, no, you I used, had another, your, used your other black shirt. But it had, this one had a little pattern on it. But it just, I had never worn it on stage and I was like, oh, this will be cool. And then I, mean, I saw this simple still trip to Walmart. Could have solved well, so Walmart, much. John. Dude, Walmart's got pretty good clothes. They do. Now. They're rolling back prices. It's fine. <laughs> but the still, I was like, uh, shirt. But I'm sure I'll get over it. It's I fine. bet it's fine, John. I bet it's fine. It, with comedians, though, I mean, that's not. I mean, you always talk about this. You you don't have to be a. You don't have to win them over with looks, right? In, In fact, it might not be the best if you did. Yeah, I think. Um, I don't know. I think if I, there's a lot of guy stand-up comics nowadays that are uh, attractive but i think a female attractive comic it's it's almost like distracting to an audience because they're because all the guys are thinking like hmm, they're they're attracted to the woman the, maybe it's not that yeah and again it's because guys are dumb you were dumb that's right, what i'm saying yeah. we're not yeah yeah uh although so, i don't give guys an out that's one of my big things when i talk about marriage like 
the whole, well, men can't help it. Men are, like that's the that that right there. Is, I think has, if a female comic is attractive on stage, it, and then she starts talking about her, like she's being self deprecating. It, it's hard for an audience to get on board with that because we have this thing in our culture that says, like, if a woman is attractive, then she must not have any problems. Which is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not true. But it's this barrier that has to be broken through. Yeah. So if they're like, ah, oh, my life is so whatever. I've, I've even seen some female comics that are attractive say, it's hard being a hot girl. And that's their angle. And you're like, this is uh, not yeah, going to work at not, all. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to work. Do you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, not not endorsing it per se. Not a sponsor. There's there's certainly some language. I didn't know you. Do you like it? Oh, you yeah. watch it? Yeah, I watch it. There's you watching season three? I'm in season three. Here's right my now. favorite thing about that show is they spend so much money on these background pieces, like for instance, the, she's touring with an artist now, Shy yeah. Baldwin, this character who's like an R and B soul artist, uh, black artist, which is really interesting because it's segregationary. It's right. like we're coming out of the civil rights movement in this, you know, it's 1961, I guess. I think it's really before the civil rights. Yeah, movement. so we're it's right in the heart of it, and he's yeah. this, you know, and so he's got this band, but they had to really write songs for him. And they're good. And they're good. And he can sing. And they'll play like three-minute chunks of these songs. Yes. Just as a part of the episode. And it's very immersive. And you just think, this is what makes this show so great. They're spending money on things that someone who had a show that wasn't as good would not think is important. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, I just watched the episode where she was doing all the radio Mm -hmm. spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. And they make her go from studio to studio. She's getting paid and all kinds of funny things. Right. But they they really, you would think, overdo it. Like, she does a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But it makes you understand that I think that they're really trying to help whatever the media was in that time. They're, they're trying to make you feel like this is what it was like. Certainly going to Vegas and walking through the casinos and that life. But they it's, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day almost. Like, she stays in Vegas a long time in the show. Yeah. And you keep seeing her do the same show, yeah. you know, even though she's telling different jokes and all. And that's one question I have for you, by the way, in a second. But you see that every night Shy Baldwin's band has to do this same thing. And you kind of mm-hmm. see life on the road that it's not all, you know, roses. And so, but I, no, I really like it. And I think that the cinematography, like Laura doesn't notice things like that usually. But I'll be like, did you just watch that camera shot? I don't know how they just flew, if that was a drone or a jib mm-hmm. or whatever. But like she walked into this big vegas uh ballroom yeah and the camera is with her you think and all of a sudden it goes into the air and makes like a 180 mm-hmm. around the whole room i guess it'd be a 360 technically if you went all the way around yeah i told i was told there'd be no geometry but and i was like oh my gosh that was a brilliant you know camera shot that they just pulled off there to, mm-hmm. to, and it was and every part of it was was something um historically I don't know, culturally right for the time. Like, you, yeah. you, they're going to great lengths. And then the shots of all the cars on the Vegas Strip, I, I guess it's so CGI, good. a lot of it, because it, yeah. goes, it goes as far as you can see, just like it was really there. Anyway, no, I, I love that. I want to know, though, the thing I think that might not be authentic for me. Now, you see her writing uh-huh. in her notebook and everything. Right. But she seemingly is just going off the cuff every night. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's just making up these yeah. these award-winning bits. Well, we thing. talked last episode about uh, characters who are Mary Sue's. Yeah. And she's definitely not a Mary Sue uh, because you see her fail and you see her make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, she's, you know, sometimes she does the absolute wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, morally or whatever. Like, she's made some mistakes. But um, that's one char- part of her character that's interesting is she adapts very quickly. Yeah. Uh, to an audience 
there in this season she does the Apollo and she kind of thinks on her feet to adapt to that audience and she makes she actually makes a mistake in that episode. But she yeah, she seems to write a new ten minutes. Well, because they can't let her keep telling all of her old jokes yeah. every time. I mean, that but that's be... exactly what you did in that era. That's what's interesting is that's exactly what you did. That's in that what I'm era. asking you. Do they do yeah. a different set every night? And well, were you on your you ad libbing like that. Well, season two, uh, they were in the Catskills, which I was so fascinated by because I grew up hearing about the, that whole era of comedy where these Jewish families. Uh, it was like middle class, lower middle class to upper middle class. They would vacation. It was like a cheap place to go vacation in the Catskill Mountains outside of New York. And that's where all these dinner clubs were. And you would camp. And then these, these they'd bring in these huge acts every night. Yeah. And you'd see these up-and-coming comedians, but you'd see like the guys. You know, you'd see Buddy Hackett. You'd see whoever. Uh, Henny Youngman, all those guys. And Basically, then you could work. I mean, from the things I've heard, I'm a huge comedy nerd, and you would hear people talk about Henny Youngman could work that whole 20 year period on 15 minutes of material. Wow. And then they would even steal each other's material. Just like, oh, we don't even know who wrote that joke. That's a Milton Berle joke, but we all do it. And it wasn't even a big deal. Yeah. It was just like, look, you got to eat. You're in the Catskills. Just do whatever. You just, it's all about crowd pleasing. So, yeah, this idea that she gets up in front of a Vegas audience and just like, today I was out with my mother-in-law and here's something about her and that it kills. Yeah. That's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a Mary Sue plot point. Unless she was, I mean, again, yes, unless someone was really, uh, we have seen like Michael Jr. or whatever who can yeah, take questions from the, the crowd and right. can immediately make something funny but out of it. But there is definitely a polishing to be done. Now, sometimes a crowd will give you credit for having something off the cuff. And it almost doesn't – it's not like when you watch Whose Line Is It Anyway. Right. Wayne Brady makes a song up on the spot. Well, if you just heard that song and he had taken six months to put it out, you'd be like, that's just kind of average. But in the moment, it feels like this guy's a genius because he came up with it on the fly. So you do get a little bit of credit. Yeah. When I travel with Tim Hawkins, he would let me – he would have me go up in the middle. And after about touring with him for a while, I would – and I'd do in clubs and things too – I told him one day on the bus, I said, you like going up first because you want to comment on the room first. So it's like yeah. this advantage. Because if you go up second, the person before you may have burned your premises, meaning if they talk about Facebook, if they talk about weight loss, if they talk about my wife's this and my wife's that, there's the difference between men and women. Then you get up and say it. You go, well, just like Tim said, I'm on Facebook too. Your joke is not going to hit his heart. Yeah. So he gets to know I'm hitting these these topics first. And if I want to comment on the weird chandelier in the room, yeah. Johnny didn't go up before me and do that. What you're saying is Tim Hawkins is a jerk. He's a cheater. Oh, my goodness. Filthy Taking you cheater. out on the road and just so he could do that to you. No, but it is. It's interesting. Tim, you have to come on the show and defend yourself. He That's does the only his way. Honor. No, I could totally see how it's very savvy to do. It's, it's sure. the, you know. Well, and I always liked it when I was out with you guys. What I always liked is how much Tim wanted to share the stage with you yeah he didn't want to have the whole act you know and then instead of just making you in a cold open because here's the deal he was going to do they were there to see him yeah and so he was going to do well the moment he touched the mic and and so he even though it might be hard he didn't need it he didn't need anybody on the road with him he just thought it made the show better and the show better and he loved to introduce you and always honored you and y'all come back and do the bit together you know mm-hmm. at the end so yeah i always I always uh, i enjoyed that but there is advantages to walking out and being like hey that chandelier that's been in your church yeah. for 12 years that nobody ever mentions yeah. now i'm going to mention that it looks like the starship enterprise this laugh that you get from that is a different kind of visceral laugh yeah. it's like you saw something with a third eye that the audience has been seeing every day, every Sunday of their life. Yeah. And now you get to see it from your view 
and it's it's a it's a crazy laugh. I often think about like, uh, and that's you know, as we look at New Year's and New Year's resolutions and change, I often think about like the church, and I always say to people because we spent a lot of time building this church. We spent you know, more than two years building it ourselves. And during that time, we were meeting in a tent as a as a youth ministry. We were meeting also as a church in a wedding chapel. Yeah. Sometimes we would have uh, picnics here in a big tent. We used the property kind of creatively. We would we before the building was done, and we even had electricity. You remember that we um, we put up drywall in a room, but it was totally unfinished. And, yeah, and I put you know kerosene heaters and stuff in there. And we you would know have, so we could kill children. It was you with know, like you do propane fumes. So, yeah, and. But the thing about it was, is, is the constant changing brought with it like a whole host of things uh, that you wouldn't expect. It was very everybody was okay with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the expectations. It's one. It's, it's not that they were low. It was like they were excited by this, and it, it was cold. It was hot. It was messy, and people would bring their friends. But there was something pure about it because we were here. You didn't have all the amenities. Take away the amenities. It was, and, we're, and also it was moving towards something. That was the other thing is we yeah. had a common goal. People were all working together. And I just remember, I've said this to the staff several times, like I think one of the worst things that ever happened to us was moving into our building. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of a sudden. You, it's like it's done. Yeah. And we didn't know well enough, I think, back then to understand that you should have that feeling of we're all building something together and it's, and it's related to the gospel and community. Like that's the that's that's the idea. That's a God truth that was built into whatever project you do at work or whatever. There's something about teamwork. The reason is, is that's a principle of uh, that I believe is inherited from creation, reflected by God. That when we work together, there is a shared energy to that. And when that shared energy is placed towards the things of God's kingdom, then it's exponential and it's also transformative. And so, like that's what it should feel like. It should always feel like. No matter where you are, that we're all building something, a yeah. building. In fact, Paul says that, that we're being, or Peter, excuse me, that we are these um, living stones being built into this house for God. And all we think of as church buildings, but literally it means, uh, you know, this dwelling place or this place where, where this interaction, this family and this. That's not the analogy I thought you were going to make. I thought you were going to say that, like, Jesus came first and he commented on the room. Just like Tim Hawkins comments on that. Is that where you thought it was going to go? He was the one who looked at our weird chandelier in our life, our sin. Oh, my goodness. And made a joke about, wait. He said that we were, he said that the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs. Like the Starship Enterprise. He didn't say. That would have been weird if he said that. It was in the Greek. But just like that whole idea, I always think, though, my whole point of that was is about rooms changing. Yeah. Like, we, I'm in that same room every every week now mm-hmm. for years and years and years. You know, in fact, I, one thing I want to do is I want to I would ruin it. I shouldn't say this. I'm going to say it. Like I tell the staff all the time, and I'll get them kind of thinking about it and excited, but we just never pulled it off. Like I want one Sunday because we're in a our room is um, more long than it is wide. Yeah, okay. shotgun style. Yeah, and I I want to when everyone leaves, not tell them. Yeah, and I want to pull all the carpet up. I want to finish polishing the concrete of the floor, and I want to tear the stage out and I want to rebuild the stage where we're now horizontal instead of vertical and take the whole room to this where the front and the back are closer but it's wider so everybody's closer together and I want to just flip it I used to do that in youth ministry you remember all the time if yeah. I thought they were if they were bored or whatever I would just make them all turn their chairs to the to the, I remember I used to do sermons like that I would do four parts it's like Dead Poets Society stand on your desk yeah oh turn, captain my captain everybody turn your chairs and face this wall and I would go talk to them there and I was okay then we turn around we're facing the back wall like you know just there's something about perspective, I think, that we get so into the same perspective, and a newness is good. So I think that's why everyone loves New Year's, Johnny, is they 
They get to start thinking about New year, about new you, John. Oh, my goodness. Do you believe in resolutions? Do you make them? I try to make them all year, but... That's such a John yeah. Driver answer. <laughs> I make them every day. I don't... Get... To be a better person. No, you know what? I do think that there's a... I think there's health in evaluation. Yeah. And I think that if New Year's is a time that you're willing to do that, then do it. Give yourself a progress report. Yeah. You need to look at... Our community groups are doing it right now, by the way. Okay. They're doing... Uh, you're in a community group. You have, You'll have to fill out an online form. Oh, boy. That it's just, it's just about 12 questions about, hey, where are we? How, how is this happening? The things that I said I wanted, the things I'm going after. And I've yeah. told our group leaders, like, everybody be really, really honest. Like, I think the scores should not be very good. I mean, that, that's okay because there's no condemnation. It just says, hey, well, either I you know, feel like that we're pursuing each other well or we're not. Yeah. Let's at least call it what it is and don't be, not to be mad about it or be condemned about it, but so we can grow. But if you never stop and look at where you are, if you never get on the scale, Johnny, you'll never know Man. how much weight you lost. If you never if you never get a gym membership, Johnny, yeah. then you'll never exercise on those machines legally. I mean, you can get in there, That's I guess. <laughs> What's the old Seinfeld bit about, like, are people stealing exercise? What if they chase you? It makes it worse. That's aerobic. <laughs> like, if they chase you away from the gym. He's exercising more now. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, but I mean, for, I mean, how many people, get, I mean, I used to get on a scale every day, but I wasn't doing anything <laughs> with the information. It's like, yep, I'm a fat piece of garbage. It's still happening. I'm going to have some cake. This is depressing. <laughs> yeah. Are you away every day kind of guy still? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I most I of the shouldn't. time. They say it's bad. It's bad to do. I don't do it right now. I kind of know where I am in the, the holidays. Range. I, I just finished a first draft of a manuscript. Oh, so you're doing the whole, your, uh, your, been, comfort, your comfort food? No, but I've been out of my exercise game a little bit. And there was no way, like, okay, on Monday. But how often do you normally exercise? Monday, I called my boss or Sunday and I said, look, man, I, 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 I'm on it. I got to have this by Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And he said, all right, take the day. And I went to Lassiter's Coffee Shop, which is now MJ Cafe. Not a sponsor. And I sat in my, I have a seat there because it helps me not get writer's shoulder because I don't have my arms up. I can sit in this chair. Yeah. I went there at eight o'clock. What do you do if somebody's in your seat? They never are. That's why I go there. Oh, I have thing. a chair at Panera. Providence. Yeah, I mean, I think God knows. Uh, but I go to Panera, and somebody's in that chair sometimes, so I don't always go there. Plus, I'm yeah. going to see a bunch of people. They're going to walk by me at Panera that I know. Yeah. And I go to the Starbucks on uh, Lebanon Road. Yeah. I have one there. Sometimes people are there, and I just kind of wait them out. But this one's almost always always a sure thing, and I'll mm-hmm. be there. But I literally sat in that chair. I ate breakfast. I ordered breakfast there. ate, drank coffee, and I wrote, and I ordered lunch and stayed there, and I wrote from 8 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock at night. It was a 10-hour writing day for me. And the the deal is that's why I'm not on the scale. <laughs> like I know I didn't run that day. I didn't and I'm ex- I'm exhausted mentally. Yeah, you had a gallon of macchiato. Yeah, I, well, no, I stayed in I stayed in the okay place. I'm having a few little things at night, you know, some, but and it's the holidays and that's okay. Like look, keto and low carb all that works for me. I don't work for it, Johnny. So I'm just going to do what I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm also going to use this tool to help me. So, but that being said, I'm going to have to get on there eventually. I don't think I've ballooned up. I can usually tell that, but I probably, you you almost got dessert today. If I had not, if I'd said, if I'd said, if I'd said, I'll share something with you, we would have gotten it. It would have happened. 
my friend Matt, we went, we were there at Longhorn, and literally these waitresses talked us into the biggest dessert they have. Oh, and I'm, no. on, I'm a keto guy. Oh, I've seen that one. Isn't it like 2,000 calories? Oh, my gosh, yeah. It was like two huge pieces of cake on this really long plate with ice, <laughs> like ice cream piled up on each side, so you both eat off the same plate like a bowl of slop. Like, and it was amazing. Uh, How do you feel about sharing desserts with another guy across the table? How do doesn't you? doesn't bother me. doesn't bother you at all? No. I mean, either. Man, listen. Look. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm so yeah. far past. It's the at that point, it's about the food. You're just like, I don't care what yeah. anybody says. What are they? Listen, no, man. You share the same spoon too, right? Absolutely. Here, Johnny, try this. <laughs> like, turn. I hold it and put it in your mouth. Your no, I don't do that. But no, I'm okay with that. That's uh, that that, that because if okay. you get your own dessert, it's a problem. They're too big. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I don't want to look weird because like my only other friend I have that gets dessert all the time is my buddy Marty. Only other as if I'm the other one. Yeah. You get desserts. I don't ever order dessert. We've got dessert. You? We've got dessert together before. When's the last time I ordered dessert? I'm just saying, it's we've got dessert. You together are lumping before. me in with all of your dessert friends, and you can't even think of the last time. <laughs> I want data, or I don't want you to say it, Johnny. That's how it works. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to impugn your character. <laughs> I do love dessert. Continue, good. please. It is good. But yeah, but if you get if, if you want if you have to get past the whole like I don't want to share because this is my guy friend with me, because if you get your own dessert. It's 2,000, 2,500 empty calories just yeah. going into your gullet. Yeah. So you got to just suck it up and be like, I'm going to have a, a few. What is a gullet, pies. by the way? Like, does your do doctor ha- go, do hey, we have gullets? let's check out your gullet next. Sounds like a pelican, like yeah. what a pelican has. Sounds like something a bird would have, like a bird of prey or a waterfowl. It's like an Old West thing. Put this in your gullet. gullet. <laughs> it gives you like an old, like 80-year-old bottle of whiskey. <laughs> Put this in your gullet. Liquid, that is an old, liquid, liquid courage. And that is an old whiskey. Right, and this is in the 1800s, too. So <laughs> it was it's, made in 1720. It's when they first, yeah, when they first <laughs> came up with whiskey. We don't even know if it's... <laughs> an 80-year-old bottle of whiskey I don't know. in a man's gullet. Wow. That's what killed my dad. That's <laughs> what killed dad. He wasn't ready. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, we. I did not order the dessert, but I do weigh. And I, th- I do like to kind of keep tabs on it i think i think that's healthy but mm-hmm. but you're right you can mentally you can become a slave to this or the number is like oh I'm, I'm doing all right you can or if you have a bad like i may as well just like if you're if you're oh, up two yeah. pounds you're like i may as well just have these candy oh, pecans that's the pattern with me and laura like well we've already blown this week anyway like yeah. that's the pattern we broke out of this year a lot yeah um christmas is harder you know we're both she's she's got a big project at work she's working on and i told you at, at lunch like so i've written four books this year and and worked more at church than I've ever worked. Like it's been a it's been a big year where God I think let me stay healthy, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and I'm very grateful. I've been telling him as I evaluate the year, I'm like, you know, I asked for this because you give me a fruitful time where I can kind of be healthy physically, and and then a lot of uh, good things happen at church. And then I was able to write a lot. Um, but at the end of every one, the end of the first draft, yeah, it's just it, it just sucks. Like it's the there's, desert. There's no yeah. way around it. Like right. you just got to. Because uh, it's not like you can just say, oh, I've worked a lot of number of hours. You have to work till it's done. Mm-hmm. And I almost always, like this one I'm working on now, which is amazing, but it has a lot of contributors. And so that contributor list keeps growing and growing and growing. And so I have to write all the things I interview them for. And it's grown to over half the size of the rest of the book that I've already written, yeah. which was already in the contracts range of word count, which means I've basically written another half a book. You know, a lot above, but you can't stop. You can't go. Well, sorry, my sorry. Right. I said we'd do fifty thousand, fifty-five thousand yeah, words. You know, I feel like I have a lot of things in my folders in my Evernote that are like song ideas, joke ideas that I because I'm very to me writing jokes still feels kind of like magic to me. 
So if it doesn't come right away, I'm not a grinded out person usually. Right. And I used to ask Tim that. I'd be like, some of these songs, because he's written so many songs. It's like, did some of these come right away? And some of them you had to just like work on forever? And he was like, yes. It made me feel relieved because I just assume, you just assume there's that creative person out there right. and just like, oh, I just open up the window and ideas float into my head yeah. and I just monetize them. So it was good to hear somebody that's done a lot of work go, no, sometimes you have to just put your nose down and go. Like there's an old quote that says that. It says, uh, sometimes it's not enough to do your best. You must do what is required. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I'm actually, when I, I, don't, I say jealous in a, in a, um, light way when i'm jealous of your mind it's because because you still kind of see things and 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 you're not a you do work really hard and grind it out especially on the road my gosh you're on the road with anybody i know but like when it comes to creativity you have instantaneous recognition of what's good and what's not good enough yet yeah but i think it makes me too careful but see but i would long for that because there's times because i'm more of a i'm going to throw out 50 things yeah yeah and i want to try them all okay and i'll find out whether or not it worked. And I was, you're more like, no, I knew already which ones worked and didn't. You no, know? but I'm telling you, I was riding with a buddy of mine the other day, two buddies, and we were talking about ideas that were like half finished, just see if we could punch each other's ideas up. And I said a couple things, and they were like, no, that's good. And, and then my, my comedian friend who's been doing comedy for over 20 years, he goes, I feel like you only bring an idea to us if you are three-quarters of the way sure that it's going to be good. And I would love to hear you bring something that's just like... You have no confidence in. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of ideas you're not getting on stage because you're they're not three-quarters done yet. And it was really... It was a, it was a good rebuke that I needed. Yeah, it's almost like you're, you're having trouble being vulnerable even with the people who would help you make it better. Right. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. Wow. Um, and I needed to hear that. And I've tried to start like adjusting the way that I think about it, just like because people always say throw out any ideas. There's no bad ideas, but I feel like I'm terrified of that. Oh yeah, there no, are bad ideas. There are. Well, I would say there's no. Sometimes you have to throw out bad ideas to get to the good. So there's sometimes no, there's a germ of an idea too that's good. Oh, know? one of my jokes is there's there's no dumb ideas, only dumb people. That's know? true. Well, that's a good guys, point. listen, y'all ask all the questions. There's no bad questions. Yeah. Just you know, but that's true of everything in life. I mean, I think that when I'm in a meeting. And it's idea time. Yeah. I remember there was a meeting I went to. Who was that with? Um, oh, you would know. Oh, I could just say it. It's okay. The book came out and everything. I remember I went to the Tim Hawkins marketing meeting. Yeah. We finished the book. Everybody was really pleased with it. And I went down there with uh, my agent. And we were in Dallas. And it was kind of a big deal because it was like the, the brain trust. Mm-hmm. Like it was management. And it was everybody. You know all that team. Yeah. around the table and they are man sharp like, it's intimidating yeah and we were in their big offices and around the table and and flew in met my agent we drove in together and he's he's kind of a, a big deal in the industry too and someone that i honestly i want to impress i mean like he's yeah. he's been like a like a, 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 a in in writing and even in life like we love each other like he, we hug each other how we see each other and he's you know kind of like a grandfather figure share you know, desserts it's kind of so we would share dessert yeah absolutely okay good and so you know i don't want to look you know as much as I, and i people pleasing and approval of man and all those things is probably no no doubt that's a that's an issue for me that i i think i'm a lot healthier in but you, you get in there and you've already written it and you realize look i'm really not a marketing guy yeah but i'm also that guy who thinks of a thousand things that might seem right you know, and, and I can sound like I know what I'm talking about. And in my younger days, I would have just been like, woo, and just kind of firing ideas. Yeah. But like you said, since I don't, 
I don't have what you have, that natural filter to go, yeah, all of those didn't probably sound good to people who do this professionally. Mm-hmm. You just broke eight cardinal rules of marketing or publicity. That you know, So I'm a little more likely these days to try to stay in my lane. Like, But I walked away from that big meeting realizing I really said nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think I was disappointed some of the people like yeah you were too you stayed stayed too yeah. uh too silent uh, too, too safe because they were throwing out great ideas we had uh thomas nelson's marketing team there and yeah. so i'm kind of like and this is sort of i know you're gonna roll your eyes everybody but the enneagram six person i do i trust in systems and people who are smarter than me i need committees yeah not like real committees but i i trust this i want other people at the table who are looking at this at an angle that i'm not good at i know what i'm good at I'll bring that, yeah. you know, and in my mind, I'd already done that. Look, I'm going to help him get this done. That That's going to be my job. And I'm going to stay on this till it's done. I'm going to manage this project. And I'm going to tell you what I think works. That's funny in a prose way for me. I'm going to work with the editors so that you don't have to, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I'm going to make sure, I mean, I spent hours on the phone with his management, making sure all the, the bits were tight and all those things in the book. Great. You know, I even chime in on cover design and all those kinds of things. You get to marketing, you know, I'm like, dude, put them on Fallon. Like that's, that's my number. I'm going to just come out of the gate and I'm going to swing for the fences. Like I think it's hilarious. I think he should be on Fallon. I think he should be on everything you can find, you know? And, but if I I feel like I've sound like. That's naive or whatever. Like, I don't know. Oh, that doesn't just happen. You know? Yeah. yeah. But I'm always like the kind of guy I I have a publicist and I always say, look, let's swing for the fences. Who can you shoot this to? I know it may not happen, Uh but I'm just that kind of guy. I'd rather take those chances. But yeah. I don't want to show that whole hand in front of other people who do right. this professionally. You know? Well, it was a good note for me. And I that's something, if I had a resolution, I, I think about that a lot now. And I think like, I need to, because I don't want to die with my song still in me. You know, that yeah. whole Henry David Thoreau thing of like, most men leave, lead quiet lives of desperation. They die with their song still in them. Like, there's a lot of things I want to make yeah. while I can still make things. So when you have this thing of like, but what if it's not great? Like you're going to make some good things and some awful things, but you have to be willing to keep making things. And so I think um, I'm trying to get these half finished ideas out of my head while I still can. Uh, even if they take a little bit of grinding on and like I got to polish them on the lathe there, get them in the – I'm not using technology, wow, the yeah. terminology right. <laughs> you got to get out your belt sander, if you will, and <laughs> – <laughs> but these deck Get the spikes barnacles and the Spanish galleon. I don't know what's going on. You know, it, it was funny. My confidence in your brain is so off the chart. Like I just, in my mind, I think there's put this way. There's not an idea, and I might get some of your really lower ideas because, again, you're not pitching to a comedian. Yeah, that's true. I probably do yeah. throw some things out to you. That You'll just like, say something that you were just thinking about. Yeah. You know? you weren't even, it wasn't a pitch. And mm. none of them are unfunny to me. Yeah. Like, they're all funny to me. They're all like, oh, yeah, do that. This is why we share desserts, John. It's like, you know, I would think. I would you're my think, support system. Oh, do that. Develop that. You know, I wouldn't. There's not one thing you ever said that I went, unless it was on an edge yeah. of something. That's often what you I think even me. in the early days of me doing, starting to do stand-up, I remember telling you then. I remember I emailed you one time because I was doing something. It was like a contest or something. And I said, I feel like you believe in me more than I do myself. I really did. Yeah. You know. And so it means a lot. You need people like that around you, um, for sure. I'm not trying so, to be a yes man. No. I would tell you. Right. It just happens to always be great. I mean, seriously. John, come on. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's what I want to do. So my resolution is that. I want to, but honestly, I, when, I, when people ask me what resolution, I want to do, be the guy that says my resolutions are really like pretentious. Like be like, I just think, 
I don't want to take more time for me this year. Like people <laughs> say they want to give more. Yeah. They want to be more present in their marriage or whatever. Like yeah. I need to really focus on myself more <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see people's face go, oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to give a listener. I'm going to tell you the way to say that because yeah. that probably needs to happen, but you're saying it wrong because, yes, people do say that. What you need to say is this. <laughs> this would be the way to say that right. I've been giving a lot. I need to take. Is there a way to. Like yeah, you sound very pretentious, and you sound like that. That what you what you mean, and probably yeah. what you need. If you do mean that, then don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but mean that. but if you but if you're what you're probably trying to say is is I need to I need to do more work on myself this yeah, this year. Gonna, I need to do some more work. It's Johnny time to help myself become a person that's better for others. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but knowing myself will help with that. Do the work. Do some work. Yeah, do that, that sounds pretentious too. If you're not careful, you say do, do the, the work. Do the emotional work that's needed. And by doing that, I'm going to ask other people to come in so I can serve them better. Okay. How about that? That sounds better. So you come in. I'm, I'm going to let you – if I'm going to do the work, I can't do it alone. That means yeah. I'm going to invite other people to, to really look and, and I'm going to be vulnerable enough. So by the way, speaking of, I'm oh. going to be doing some work this year okay. on myself. Uh, I am going to be going through nine months of recovery. Okay. I'm going into the regeneration program that starts January 29th. Yeah. And it is, it is intense. So like it's gonna be. Uh, I'm really excited. I was praying about this morning. Uh, I'm excited, and I'm also like, oh man, like I'm, I'm so past. In my younger days, I would have thought, oh, there's nothing to uncover, you know. Like, yeah. But and I'm pretty self aware, I think, and I've already been in quote unquote recovery. I think spiritually. And, this is something the church does. Yeah. This they they did a year of pilot, um, and um, and so this year this one is is still not open to the public per se, but it is open to the entire church now. Right. So we've had about thirty that have gone through. Who, man, it's just, and I have a lot of friends in that. It's just been completely, here's the deal. Recovery done right in Christian circle or whatever, it, 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 I can't speak for other, mm-hmm. you know, for none. I could just say that it's not, it's just a tool. We, I preached on this the other day if you were there. You probably weren't because I was preaching. But That's hateful. Yeah. I feel but, like we need to uncover that. Yeah. So then part one, John's bitterness towards Johnny. Um, the, the. Whether it's the Enneagram or whether it's Regen or whether it's Celebrate Recovery or whether mm-hmm. it's Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it's a book, whether it's you know a program, an exercise program, all of those things are tools. Like mm-hmm. they're not – and some people like freak out as if it's the thing, you know. Yeah. But they're all tools that you use or don't use. I mean a hammer is not good or bad. It's what you do with it, you know, that matters. And you can do damage with it and you can do good with it. So um, – so – but for regeneration in particular, what we think of is like this is actually what should all believers in community should be doing this exact process. This mm-hmm. is just a fast track for right. those who say, I'm desperate to say now. I, I want to go now. Yeah. So I want to spend every day doing 30 minutes of journaling, really intensive in these questions. Journaling, and, wow. Okay. Well, it's a, it's not all journaling, but it, it requires a lot of writing. So there's very it's a, I mean the program has been around for years and years out of Dallas and so they have pilots and and other now parts of it, people running yeah. it all over the country and it's a little bit like celebrate recovery but it's a little more uh, spiritual community based uh-huh. so but um, I'm I just have a lot of friends I'm actually a mentor to a couple people in the program which is, is like a sponsor you'd say in other yeah. recovery circles but um, it's a lot of scripture and it's a lot of I mean, you make amends. It's twelve steps. It's a okay. twelve-step program. Um, I've noticed no one's coming to me to make amends, and it bothers me a little bit. Really? When I know people are in, and I'm like, I'm waiting on that apology. Wow. So maybe that's my <laughs> that's my issue. He's calling you out. 
whoever it is, I, I need I need to hear the words. Why is no one making amends with me? Maybe they're not on that step yet, but I just need to hear the words. I don't think anyone's made amends with me. <sighs> and I know I've made some people mad. Like I, there's yeah. no doubt. So, well, uh, it'll be fine. I was I was raised to push your feelings down, right? And it's worked fine so far. Oh yeah, you're doing great. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's what comedy uh, has given me. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons I don't feel angst like I did in my late 20s, early 30s is because I do have this release valve for a lot of what bugs me or what bugs me about myself. Yeah. Um, um, now, it's not perfect because then you monetize it and ruin it. Right. You know, anytime you monetize something that's your feelings, it does something to it, does something to it yeah. that makes it not fun anymore uh, or not useful necessarily. It just but, becomes, it, it can remain pure, but you got to be more intentional about it because yeah. it's going to lose something. Yeah. yeah. But I do think that there is something to the fact of like, I'm always challenging my own viewpoints because it's just way funnier right. to do that. Well, you're a humble comic. Some comics stand up and. Everything they do is a rant because they know everything. Yeah. And you don't do that. Yours is a rant against yourself. I guess, yeah. Like it's a lot of, I thought this, and this is why I'm stupid. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm and that's why it's funny, which I think there's a humility. That's interesting to me. So like your comedy is like therapy for yourself. Man, I get I mean, I hate when comics say that because it's like what sometimes comics mean is like this is my therapy. So look out because I'm getting ready to, all my issues with my mom right. growing up, you're getting ready to vent on an audience that's like unsuspecting. Yeah. I don't think it's that, but I do think there's something to like there. There's, for instance, pain from my childhood, embarrassing moments, think, feeling out of place. Yeah, that is now gold to me. If I'd had a normal upbringing where I just was well adjusted and felt like, uh, in other words, if I felt well adjusted in school and that I always felt in place and I was a popular kid, those aren't the kind of people that go on to become comedians, right? Or even authors, really. Honestly, if you, you know, you're drawing from that pain. And what I'm finding is those are the stories that people uh, relate to. You see the aha moments. You see the eyes light up like I thought I was only one. That's the stuff that I would have spent my whole childhood and even my 20s hiding from people. I don't want you to know about this moment. I don't want you to know that I had a mullet haircut and a purple suit and that I was homeschooled and had a homeschool prom where I went with my brother it was like a bunch of other homeschoolers, like, what a terrible, weird. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing you would tell on stage because it's weird. Yeah. Like, why do you want to hear the same dumb story from somebody that had a normal? You want to hear the weird. Well, I want to draw you into my world. Yeah. It, it gives people a chance for their weirdness yeah. to not be the only one. And plus, I had a glorious mullet. It wasn't just like oh, an average my mullet. Gosh. It was yes. flowing. That was a b- and I conditioned it every day. Did you really? It was shiny. Did you put any other product in it besides there that? There was a little... There was some consort for men. Consort. You were consort. I couldn't be out there with, you know, Aquanet. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a, you know, I'm what a What would Cavaricci say about consort that? Consort hairspray. I don't know if they still make it, but it smelled like beer. Like you could smell, it had a weird smell to it. I mean, it just, yeah, maybe they were confusing their alcohols. I don't know, but it did not smell good. Wow. But it was a manly yeah, hairspray. You still, you still sprayed it into yeah. your mullet. Um, you know, um, I've lost it. You what? said it was going to happen. We're just going to have one day. <laughs> we're just running out of things to talk about. <laughs> We've reached the end of it. No, you were saying that. And I, no, had I was a, talking about vulnerability and connection and like how the, oh, the thing yeah, you yeah, draw from your it, pain, you know. I was thinking when, when um, I know I've talked about marriage before 
And when I speak to just a group of guys, I've done talks on uh, sexual expectations. Uh-huh. And like gotten really sex expectations. We sex, call them. I did call it that actually. <laughs> that was the name of my session was sex expectations. Great sex expectations. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's really really punny. Uh, no, it's good. But it's catchy. Um, the deal was, I just got very real about I think how men enter into marriage in certain circles, but I think all men. And there's this expectation that feels like a broken promise, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're dating and say, if you're in a situation where you're struggling yeah. with purity and it just feels like that the woman is going to be your wife is just can't keep her hands off of you and you can't keep her hands off of her. And there's this like unspoken promise that it's or sometimes spoken. Mm-hmm. Like you just wait till we get married. It's going to be, you know, and then when you're in a month or two and you realize that, that actually she can go a day without that. <laughs> Even though that's how it was in dating, and it and it's a real like sense of betrayal, which makes no sense. It's a very it's a it makes sense, right? Because it it's not it's not cognitive, you know. It's not all logical. There's an emotional and even an emotional mm-hmm. uh, maturity issue to it. And I'll, I'll share on those things. And dude, the guys would line up afterwards. And to your point of like. I thought I was the only one who ever felt that. Yeah. Because it was, it was shameful for them. Didn't know when do guys ever talk about that kind of stuff, you know. But to say, I think, guys, pretty much everybody has probably experienced some version of that. Yeah. It may be different for you. But there's something, I think, I mean, I think that's what community in the gospel always does is it says, hey, you're not alone in this. In fact, and that's what's shocking. The people who have come out of this program already, a lot of things they said was within week three when I found out there were other people in this circle who had that problem. Mm-hmm. And I know you know everybody has those problems, but you really live emotionally as if they don't. Mm-hmm. And there's something about when, when I can sense that I'm not alone in it. Number one, it removes a lot of the stigma of it because uh, I just think everything is it's kind of like the hyenas and the wildebeests. I mean – you want to isolate. If you can get someone away from the pack or the herd or wherever they run where they're safe and you can get them to feel that they're alone and that they're the only one, that no one's watching out for them and that they were dumb to get there, they went the wrong way, no one yeah. else has ever gone this way, then, I mean, you're a target and, and emotionally. So, I mean, I just, to me, I think that maybe that's what, I do know it's what your comedy does. I think people see that and they go, okay, this guy can laugh at himself. I have this freedom for a moment, you know. I hope so. That's what you hope. And that's the thing, too, about like community. Like you said, that Instagram varnish and sheen on everyone's life moments is disorienting to us because we know for us, like you've told the story before about the family, your family photo where you basically had to like it took you two hours to get this one shot and yeah. you still had to like photoshop it basically yeah. to get it right you know that about yourself but you still have this weird image like other people though they have the perfect here's them on a ski retreat yeah they're having the even though you know it's not true it's like disorienting it's almost like driving down the road looking at your ipad your body feels nauseous because your body knows that you're moving but your eyes think you're standing still it's like it's disorienting to our bodies yeah and I think that's what's going on with social media. We see these snippets of people's highlight reels, and it, it instead of it making us feel, oh, what a wonderful thing, we immediately begin to think, like, they have a different life than me. Yep. They're not dealing with the same problems, and uh, it's unsettling. Well, you know, I don't talk about the Ten Commandments very much, but I thought the other day about coveting being a very – being an interesting located commandment, interestingly yeah. located. It's the last one, which in theory – Either the first thing or the last thing is usually the most important. Yeah. So obviously the first one is very much about loving God and all that. But 
interesting to me that God would really focus on that to round it out. Because mm-hmm. you would think, don't murder people, guys. Above all else, don't kill somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Or perhaps don't lie because that's this, you know, really sin against the, the principles of honesty and integrity. But like that he really focused – it's kind of out of the blue. Lying, stealing, murder, okay. I mean right. it, almost every culture, whether they are God-fearing, not God-fearing, atheistic, would say we're going to have to put some rules down about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't lie in court you know, or whatever to a judge. We yeah. have to have some truth or we can't run society. Because how do we know what happened if we can't believe anybody? You yeah. know? So even if it's not a moral thing, it's going to have a, a litigious you know, type way. But the fact that God threw in there, hey, listen, when you look at your neighbor, don't long for their life. Mm-hmm. Like, don't long for their wife. Don't long for their stuff. Like, live yours. Like, and, and the fact that he made that you know, for the Israelites a commandment, I think just speaks to the problem that, yes, you're right, my gosh, we're handing now in our devices, and I'm not anti-device or anti-social media, as I have to always precursor and say, but it really is like we're, we're flooded with other people's lives. And so it's just interesting to me that I think that, that that's been a human problem from the get-go, <laughs> you yeah. know? and that it's it's no wonder that I, I do. I, I struggle the most. I mean, man, the, the pastoral coveting is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I felt it today. Like I, I, <laughs> there were some things I said to God today that are very, very honest. You know that, that I just like I had to just say, and they had to do with you know. I said that man, I see this guy, and he has my job, and it's like everything's easy. Like you know, and I, I'll tell you the example later of what it was. I can't even get this simple thing, like the most simplest of tasks, done as a pastor. I feel right. like I can't get done sometimes. You know, um, and so why is it so hard? But it. The angst comes from comparison almost every time. If mm-hmm. I didn't have that person to compare to. And then somebody's comparing themselves to you oh, and that, without and that, a doubt. And it jars you every time you find that out. Somebody mm-hmm. goes, oh, I thought that you had it. And you're like, yeah. what? Yeah. No. I mean, it's a, yeah. So, I mean, you know, as we look in a year in review, I mean, we look back and say um, lots of stuff happened in the culture. Lots of stuff happened in life. And I think one thing that I did learn over the year, I haven't I haven't stopped it yet, but we have talked about this topic a lot. If I could take away one thing is I, I really want to enter 2020 not comparing myself yeah. to others as much as I can help it. Um, certainly not longing for what they have more than what I have. It's okay to say, I, w- uh, you know, I wish that I had – it's okay to want growth or, or to want to advance. Yeah, to me it's almost like golf. Like you're not – if you get to where you're playing against the other golfers – You've already lost. Yeah. You're playing against the course. So meaning in the course in your life is your own potential. Mm-hmm. So I want to get the most out of my own potential that I can. Yeah. Which that can be frustrating too. Because you're comparing yourself in essence with a some perfect ideal of yourself. So that can be destructive too. Yeah. But I do think it's healthy to say, I'm just going to play the course and not worry about who's on the leaderboard. While yeah. I, you know, because I'm never on the leaderboard, John, when no. I play golf. No. I'm in the bushes looking for my ball. Yeah. No, and that's and that's good. I mean, yeah, play it. I, I was thinking about Tennessee uh, basketball lost to Cincinnati the other night, and I was thinking about they were down. And I think a Tennessee basketball coach used to say, "No matter what the score is, we always come out and play like we're down by ten mm-hmm. in the second half." That he conditioned the team. I want you to take the court, and no matter what, the, don't do not look at the scoreboard. You're down by ten. Yeah. So you're gonna, you know, what is it? How are you gonna play if you're down by ten? You know. So there's just such a way to, to yeah, like, build you know, urgency. Yeah. Like go go give it your best because, I mean, the worst thing to have as a lead 
in sports, yeah. <laughs> the worst thing, unless you're one of those perennial teams. If I'm playing sports, I probably am down by 10. <laughs> so I need, For you. I need something better. I need 20. Yeah, you're right. Your, yeah. your El Guapo was the it. real It was Guapo. the actual El Guapo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh, listener, and maybe you have an El Guapo out there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe your El Guapo is New Year's resolutions. Maybe. You're afraid. Yeah, you look back at 2019 and think, man, it was a tough year. Be here. bold in 2020, you guys. Go out there. Chase your dreams. Yeah, it's a decade change. It's the Roaring Twenties are back. We're heading. We're heading into a new Roaring Twenties. Mm. A lot of bad things happened in the Twenties, by the way. That's true. Think, there was yeah. a lot of stock, stock market, market crash. crash and, people yeah. th- didn't people throw themselves out windows? Or was that that really happened? Did. Did we revetted that. But they were still in prohibition too, so people were dying from poisoning from like uh, bathtub, bathtub gin. gin. Don't yeah. make bathtub gin, guys. Although, guys, you there's need to, regular gin available. Right, here. you can just go buy it. You do need to go watch the Kim Burns Prohibition uh, I do documentary. Need to watch that. I'm telling you, it was the most fascinating pieces of uh, what would you call that? That's a documentary. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's art, though. The photos and the videos are amazing. So I hear he uses that Ken Burns effect on a lot of the photos. <laughs> 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 he just calls it the me effect. That's probably. right. That's right. Uh, so, hey, guys, we are heading into a new year, and it's been fun. It's been fun having uh, these episodes. Johnny, we've done one every week. In 2019. Mm. That's a resolution we've kept. Yep. We didn't really make a resolution. We did, actually. Did we? We decided. You made it. Well, you had to be on board with me. But yeah. we decided that we needed to be consistent because this was important enough and we really enjoyed it. And so we wanted to be consistent. So we did that and uh, we about we over doubled our downloads uh, this year. So, so thank, thank you. Download doubled. And, download and we're going to have uh, more guests. We, that's one of our resolutions for next year is we're going to have more guests on <sighs> See, the show. See, you went and said it. Now we got to do it. We have to do it because we, I We also stopped promising things that we couldn't do. We really tried to do that. So maybe, but yes, we are. We're going to take if, more me time. If we have four guests, it'll be more than this last year. Yes. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. So we'll set our standards. No, we would like to have more guests. We also are probably going to do more of the live stream thing. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. try that every four to six episodes or so. Yeah. And uh, let you guys have interactive parts of that. That was fun. It was fun this year. What was your favorite show, Johnny? Do you have a favorite show? <sighs> John, they just they run together. Yeah, they we really thought did. we covered so much ground. Johnny thinks we're going to run out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we both kind of talk for a living. I don't see it happening. That's fine. So, well, will people keep listening, though? I hope they do. That'll be the key. Right now they are, or at least their phones are auto-downloading. Yeah, so, that's uh, fine, too. Absolutely. And when you subscribe, that helps. <laughs> we, would love to, we would love to see growth again uh, because we want to reach more people with this fun conversation. So uh, make sure you tell your friends about it. Maybe you give them a New Year's resolution that they should listen and talk about that in 2020. And they should go back and listen to the whole catalog. What a great thing that would be a gift, if you will, for the new year for your friends. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's free. (laughs) It is free. So you get that, hey, look what I got you. If you don't want it to be free, though, and you'd like to help out a little bit, go to Patreon. And what, Johnny, what's 10 or 20 bucks a month going to do to change, you know? For the cost of five cups cups of of coffee. coffee. Yeah, go check us out on Patreon. Share it, follow Johnny, follow me. And uh, we're looking forward to hopefully more new and exciting things in the next year. But Happy New Year to you guys. We'll see you next time. We'll talk about it.
If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day.